0: Thank you for being here. Uh, My name is Katie Linendoll. I am honored to be able to moderate this event. I personally have watched Dave's film, Morning Sun, and Todd's as well, three times now. It's a very intense film. Has anybody seen it? Oh, wow, awesome. For those of you that don't know and have not seen the film that we're focused on tonight, Morning Sun, his mom was murdered at the age of 15, and that murderer was on the loose for over seven years. So you can imagine the impact that one day and Dave's life had throughout his entire life. So without further ado, let me bring Dave and Todd on stage.
1: Thank you, Katie, and thanks for coming out, everybody. Katie, you just gave away the end of the film. For those of you who didn't know, I'm sorry, got, so my mom does die at the end of this film. Thanks, Katie. It's in well, she synopsis, dies at kind of dude. the beginning. Way to go.
0: It's in the synopsis. All Cut right, me some fair slack. Enough,
1: fair enough.
0: I feel like, with that said, since I have already ruined it, should we head right to the trailer? Should sure, whatever you sensitive?
1: want to do. First of all, I want to say super stunned that you all came out. Thank you very, very much for the support. It means a lot to us and, and our little film. So, really, really great to see you all. Thank you.
0: Yeah, you can give yourself a round of applause. All right, so let's head right on over to the trailer. Again, this is Morning Sun. This is Dave, executive produced, Todd obviously directed, and their first foray into documentary filmmaking. Let's do it.
2: He takes the pillow, sticks it over her face, and snuffs out her last breath of life.
3: Sue Jory and Connie Navarro were brutally murdered in Navarro's Westwood condominium.
0: They say for every homicide, 10,000 people are affected.
3: He changed an entire family forever.
4: What does it bring up? What is your trepidation?
1: It feels ugly to tell the story. I've never been one to not share what's going on with me emotionally. I think as an artist and as a musician, that's just inherent. That's what we do.
2: Everybody started screaming. It's massive scene. Is this the murder weapon? Dude, that was
1: fucking heavy. It's the most profound moment of my life, and I don't think that I should sweep it under the rug anymore. I mean, it just was the darkest most horrible moment of my life.
3: I mean, there's a new dark side of Dave, of course, that emerged that moment for the next time we saw you. When he started getting into heroin, it he frightened me. He just
1: had these snake trails all up and down and it was just looking awful. We were touring all over the world and we were getting famous and well-known. The whole time I'm out touring the world, Riccardi was still on the loose. There was fear and terror, I mean, terror. He's out there. He's arrogant. He's vain. He's working the system. Nobody can catch him. I was afraid. Is he going to kill me?
0: You really got involved. You really wanted this man to face justice.
3: Organized. Organized offender. All these things start falling into place.
2: I could hurt you right here and nobody would do anything. Leave me alone. There are no locks that can keep me out of your house. The ultimate form of vengeance and punishment is inflicted on March the 3rd, 1983. I had lost my mother
1: and I almost lost everything before that. On that day, everything, everything changed.
0: such an amazing film. And, you know, you say how on one day everything changed and certainly to be able to tackle a project of that nature. But really, I want to start with the relationship you guys have too, because you know how messy it can be when you're working with friends and you're involving others that you actually care about. Todd, for you to tackle a project of this magnitude with Dave, a lot at stake here, a lot could go wrong.
4: Yeah, it it certainly... Yeah, it was a little bit of like, I don't, we didn't even think of that. We just dove into, let's try and do this. And because we had complete control over the entire film, as far as we funded it, we, it was just us that made this thing, you know, with help from some technical people towards the end of the film. But since we had control, there was, at any time I could just say, or he could just say, this is too much. Let's stop this or let's shelf this or let's not continue down this path
0: and as you say that i see you perk up in the sense that having that control was probably imperative in creating this
1: oh yeah i mean the thing is that todd and i are cinephiles we love film I mean, that's my all-time favorite favorite thing and we've i've always wanted to be a filmmaker we've always wanted to make films and we've wanted to make them together and what we actually wanted to do was just try filmmaking. And we were on the phone one night and said, let's make a movie. Well, what should it be? Should it be a thriller? Should it be a crime story? Should it be a documentary? And I was like, hey, you know, hold the phone, I got a story. And we just kind of undertook the story. We looked at each other and said, yeah, let's do that. And so <clears throat> it, became, it became a passion project among friends. And we didn't have any outside help. I mean, it literally, we not only didn't have funding or a studio or management or an agent or any of those things or cameramen, we just literally got into a car with a a camcorder and started making a movie. And that's, and we learned how to make a movie that way.
0: You actually decide 30 years later to go to San Quentin and visit the guy who murdered his mom. And I think halfway on the trip, correct me if I'm wrong, you start to realize...
1: It was on the way back. On the way back, we're just like, that's why they have groups that arrange these things. (laughs) You know, not to open up old wounds and... and and re-traumatize yourself, which I did. Well, and Todd, I feel like for the first...
0: Bad or good, Todd finally, like, kind of loses it. He's like, I don't know if this was a good idea.
4: Yeah, that was... This is that line of
0: friendship professionalism. Well, uh,
4: yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, you're thinking, or I'm thinking as a director, uh, to tell the story, the storytelling part of this whole thing. And then we get there, and I think was this the most detrimental thing I've ever done to my friend? You know, uh, you know and then he uh, thought, Metaphorically, did I just put a gun in his hand? And then, you then he know thought, I mean? fuck it, I need to make my movie.
0: Let him go in there. What is going through your head? It sounds like such a, you know, you know, an easy question, like a, a softball, but honestly, you're seeing this guy who's aged yeah. so many years and so much time has gone by, and what are you hoping to achieve from this face-to-face meeting with him?
1: That's an interesting question. Um, I didn't know what to expect. I knew to not have expectations. I knew to not expect an apology. I knew to not expect to let bygones be bygones. And I I didn't want it to be an angry exchange. I wanted to walk in and walk out and leave him there as like a symbol of empowerment. As some kind of metaphorical physical act that I can take to walk through fear, you know, and um, and and I and I got just that, and I think that one of the things that was really important for me is to not walk into it angry and rageful, because that's because then I'm setting the tone for myself, and that could retrigger trauma, and I think that what I'm talking about in this film, more than anything else, is. Trauma and learning how to live and cope and deal with trauma, which is one of the reasons why we focus on the drug addiction stuff, which is an, a path that I took to try and find some kind of peace or sex addiction or uh, you know the, the the diving into artistic ventures, which you know are not all detrimental, but you know different ways of trying to cope. Until I learned that uh, it was really about the physical action of walking through something that's super scary and being empowered by that. And I think that's what I was looking for. So fortunately, I didn't have a head full of rage and anger. And I just went in there, open to the experience and seeing what it was going to be. I thought the case was
2: overwhelming. And the the jury obviously concluded because the verdict was in, uh, I believe, two hours. Guilty of the crime of murder of a human being. Constance Navarro. Guilty of the crime of murder of a human being, Susan Jory. We the jury in the above entitled action herein fix the penalty to be imposed on the defendant, John Alexander Riccardi, to be death. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, are these your verdicts? So say you one, so say you all.
4: Yes. There it is, bro.
1: This is intense. There was a pattern that started in my life when I was 15 years old that haunted me and every decision that I ever had since then. And I, as an adult man, said, you know what? Fucking enough is enough. seen this guy in 30 years
0: I recall one of your lines in your film I you're wondering why you don't just lunge over at this guy
1: well yeah the filmmaker and me wanted a dramatic moment like that you know but the reality is if I had I would have a different experience because there was something about walking out of there and being like, you know what? I have my life and this guy's in place where he deserves to be. And one of the things that, that victims of violent crime w- we rarely see is a punishment being carried out. You know, They take a guy off to prison and that's it and you go on with your life and try and deal. But to go actually walk into the prison and be in the environment and see like, wow, this is this guy's life now. You know. There's something to to be said for that. There's something to be said for learning what you know, what the punishment, the consequence has, has become. And uh, so I really, that was a, a valuable thing for me.
0: I think one of the most interesting things I've ever learned about you is having gone through this experience and been so traumatic, but then at the same time, he has a lot of art from serial killers.
1: Oh, that's true. Yeah.
0: Which is so mind-numbing to me, and I can't understand and close that loop of,
1: these pieces that I have are, are very juxtaposed. I mean, they're the most frightening minds in the world doing what appears to be very childlike, animated, colorful, bubbly paintings. You know, in a lot of cases, you're, you're looking at the, I think the Richard Ramirez is Bambi. Uh, the John Wayne Gacy is a clown, Pogo the Clown. And these are very counter, counter to what you would think a mind of a serial killer would creatively come up with. And they're almost childlike and infantile. And, I, and I'm fascinated with that juxtaposition and that psychology.
0: Can I ask you an intense personal question?
1: Oh, now? You're yes. going to start with the intense ones? Yes. Okay.
0: If Riccardi, the killer, would have started painting.
1: Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I'm,
0: I'm genuinely curious. Yeah,
1: no, no, no. Because you,
0: you have such a different mindset in the way you approach things. You're always full, full of surprises.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's any... This is a guy, you know, and I'm. I'm it's very, listen, this is a weird line for me to walk, you know, like fascination with serial killers and then being the victim of a violent crime and how do you make peace with that? Well, these are psychologies that I find fascinating because of the same reason probably thousands and thousands of people do. In my case, this is a guy who all of us, everybody in this room has gone through heartache and loss one way or another a girlfriend or a boyfriend dumps you, someone doesn't want to be with you. you, whatever the case is, right? For the most part. This is one human being who couldn't handle that. Couldn't man up. Couldn't deal with life on life's terms the way everybody else here does and has to. And so he killed two beautiful women because he couldn't take no for an answer. Which is, in my opinion not fascinating, not interesting, not juxtaposed in some weird artistic way, and so it's very easy for me to make that distinction.
0: You also made note, um, not only was his mother murdered, but not by blood, but really close with the family. Your aunt was also, and you're very sensitive to really keep her out of the story uh, just due to privacy, which I thought was really well done. I
1: I became an entertainer in my life, and and I do this in my book as well. So I've chosen to expose certain elements of my life, you know, and that's just the choice I made. But other members of my family haven't made that choice. And so for, you know, I respect that. And I'm not gonna expose their lives because I'm exposing mine. So I do have to be protective of my extended family. It was a million
2: years ago. It was yesterday.
1: I can't talk about that. If you want to get to the actual day, I mean.
2: The day that all went down.
4: We were supposed to all go out to dinner.
2: Strangely enough, a buddy of mine had gotten a new motorcycle. He comes by to show me the bike. I was in high school.
1: I get a note to come to the office. My dad's on the phone. He's going to come and get me early because I need to get your house key to find my mom. She had not turned up for an appointment.
4: I just called and nobody ever answered.
3: And he was going to go to the house to see what was going on, because he he
1: couldn't reach her. So my dad picks me up, took me to his house. And he goes, "Okay, I'm just going to go over there and check on her. And he went down to my mom's. And
4: And then I called uh, Sue's house. And her daughter answered and said, mommy never came home. Before
2: I left to go on the on the motorcycle ride, I saw Dave's dad, Mike, walk by. And he just gave me a quick, hey, Scott, and I said, hey, Mike, what's up? And, and so he let himself in, called out,
3: nothing. And the cat comes in. And instead of going for its bowl in the kitchen, the cat shoots straight up the stairs like a rocket. And Mike says he got this chill feeling like, oh, my god.
4: But I still didn't think the worst.
3: And then I don't hear, I'm sitting
1: at the house, I don't hear anything.
3: The office was about a mile from the house. And the phone rang. Um, The receptionist picked up the phone and was, hi, Mike. Oh, God. Well, anyway, this is. And she got this horrified look on her face. Oh, this
2: is really bad. And I could hear squawking through the phone. Let me talk to Dan. I just come back around the neighborhood. By the time I did this little route, both ends of the streets are already taped off with police caution tape. Get over here to Cody's right away. Everybody started screaming. I'm not really sure what is going on because... Because I'd never heard Mike talk like that. The street is actually swarmed with police cars. I was scared. It's massive scene. I did not know what to expect. I'm waiting. When I get back and bring my friend's bike back, he's standing on my patio, wide-eyed, like, dude. I pull up and there's a crowd. I'm waiting there for several hours. And I get out of the
3: car. And I start walking toward the front door. And Mike is at the front door with
1: his back to me in handcuffs. A girlfriend of mine at school called me and said, what's going on?
3: I'm, I'm his nephew. What's going on? She told me that a police officer had answered the phone. What do you mean,
1: the police? She's like, yeah.
3: And he turns around, and he's got this look. I'll never forget this look as long as I live. So at that point, I had a sinking feeling. This just anguished, disbelieving, horrified, Look, something was terribly wrong. And he looks at me and he goes, she's dead.
4: Yay for you facing your fears.
0: It truly is. A, thank you for being so its an open and honest story and allowing me to also moderate this. It's been an, an absolute honor. I, my friend came over the other night, who's actually here, and he cried three times during the film. And it was just so touching and honest and ap- appreciated that you put this story out there.
1: Thanks, Katie. I, you know, one of the things that we wanted to do is, in 1983 when this happened, There were there weren't a lot of outreach programs for domestic violence, and there was no internet, and there weren't... You know, there weren't places for my mom to go and seek help that wasn't as you know on the forefront of, of our tongues as it is now. So I wanted to tell a cautionary tale, because I know so many people that are in horrible relationships, you know and I just want them to know, you know what, man, things can go bad, really fast, unexpectedly. be aware of that. And if you're in one of those situations or you have a friend who's in one of those situations, find help, it's out there. We work with Safe Horizon, we work with nomore.org. So there are places that you know help can be found. Um, and I also wanted victims of crime and of domestic violence to not feel alone because there is a very, I- there can be a very isolating shame that goes along with being in an environment like that and having not done anything about it. So I wanted to share with them as well. And I also wanted to make a movie that was (laughs) interesting to watch.
0: Before we get to audience questions, Todd, one last question for Mm -hmm. you. Uh, What are you guys working on now? Do you continue the relationship? Does spread entertainment with Todd and Dave move on to the next big project? And what is that?
4: Absolutely. Uh, You know, one of the things that he had stated earlier is, is okay, you know, we work together in a lot of mediums. We have a radio show that we've done together. We've done a lot of uh, projects together and filmmaking was always the goal. So when he said like, oh, let's make a movie, let's do that, you know, it was to continue to do so. So yeah, we have, we're launching a a production company. We have a lot of scripted projects, stuff that I've written, stuff that we're looking uh, for other filmmakers to do too. So yeah, we're, we're well, you've been writing for years,
0: like 20-some mm-hmm. years before mm-hmm. moving out to L.A., mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. And a number of different mediums from children's animation to horror to, again, mm-hmm. I, no- I noted earlier, married with children. Mm-hmm. So amazing to be able to work in a friend environment.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's what we're here to do.
0: Shall we take some questions from the audience?
4: During the time you were playing with Jane's Addiction, he was on the run, hunted by America's Most Wanted yeah. and the FBI. Was that like on your mind and affecting your decisions to use and like what were you thinking it's at that? It's interesting
1: because uh, it was it was a really uncertain time. Of course, the the killer was on the run. I was on tour, and you know when you when you're talking about someone who's as insane as the guy who's gonna kill two women, right? You don't know are they gonna. Go kill the rest of my family? Are they going to try and find me? You know, I'm listed in the in the local papers as to where I'm going to be at what time because I'm playing. Um, so that was a little terrifying. But as far as the drug use and and using drugs, and I try and get into this, I used I used it as an excuse to get high, without a doubt. Um, I don't think that I don't think that, that one indicated the other because there's a millions there's millions of, of victims out there who don't become drug addicts. You know what I mean? And and I would hate to do them a disservice by saying, yeah, and it caused me to do drugs cuz that's not what I'm saying. But uh, yeah, I certainly had an excuse. To say, what do you you don't understand, man? You know, I got this this guys after us and then, you know, I can get away with whatever the fuck I want. He also At brought least up a really I good thought. point
0: we didn't even discuss. America's most wanted. Yeah. Key and integral in this yeah. process and on they had k- initially came to you and you weren't on board.
1: No. No. I was really... Uh, America's Most Wanted came to us. They wanted to do our story, cover it. And I was like, man, they're trying to sensationalize this really horrible tragedy. You know how, Little did I know that years later, I would. But... Um, <laughs> you know, but... Uh, TV being what it was back then, and I guess what it is, you know, they were like, okay, we don't have the family's consent, but we're going to do this anyway. And we were a little offended by it. And wouldn't you know it? That program... Was a vital role in catching this killer. And I, I've since gone, I've been on the show and I've become friends with John Walsh and it, you know, it meant the world to me. Uh, Dave, how has your life changed
2: since releasing the movie? And Todd, what was the most challenging aspect of the project over the past seven years? And by the way, love
1: your shoes. Thank you. Oh, aren't they the best? Uh, Todd, do you want to handle that
4: first? Um, oh, God. There were so many so many different rides that I had to go on. But I think one of the most challenging parts, believe it or not, was releasing the movie. Yes. Because, like he had said many times, we had total control. When you release it, you give up that control. Now it's out there. The public is consuming it. They're seeing it. They're making opinions. You know, things like that. And I think that that twisted you, too, as well, just because of the you know, the open book that he's giving the world uh, the opportunity to see this very private part. Going to San Quentin to see this guy was,
1: was an exercise in walking through fear. Little did I know that my second exercise of walking through fear would be releasing this. I didn't realize that until it happened. Um, and there's something really valuable about Taking those steps and realizing the world's not that scary of a place and everything's kind of okay. And the next time I'm worried about stepping in front of a live audience at the Apple Store, I can get through it because I just sat with my mom's killer. So you guys really aren't all that scary, you know what I mean? And then it just you can calm you can calm the nerves and knowing that it's it's almost like an emotional exercise. Uh, you want to get stronger, you go to the gym. You want to get through scary stuff, piecemeal it and do it. And anytime. For me, anytime something comes to me that I'm nervous about, I instantly have to do it now.
0: Hi, first of all, I love you. Um,
4: Thank you, oh, you're talking me. <laughs> uh,
0: in the movie, after you left the prison, you had a lot of emotion about not d- wishing you did it or if you did or didn't do it. Now that time has passed, do you g- regret going? Are you glad you went? What have you taken away from going?
1: Well, it's interesting. And and thank you for the question. I love you back. Um, I'm really happy I went. And for some of the reasons that I outlined earlier. Um, but one of the reasons is that when we go through traumatic experiences like this, in order to protect ourselves, we shut down emotionally and lock things away. So to avoid feeling bad, I would not think about my mom's death. But then along with that came not thinking about anything before that. And I mean, I had 15 years that were great years with her. And I had locked all that away too, because if I open that door, then that's gonna lead me to this scary, terrible thing, and that's gonna hurt, so I should just shut it all out. So after having gone to San Quentin and and walked through that fear, all that 15 years of memory and and love and, and joy crept back into my soul and 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 I was kind of reintroduced to my own childhood in a weird way. I know that sounds really like um you know, self-help ish, but it it's the truth. It's my experience. Um kind of the uh the Hugh Prather of the modern age. And nobody knows who Hugh Prather is. Well, that's okay. Um but yeah, it was <laughs> it was um <laughs> Um, it was a great experience, thank you. Uh, my
4: question is, you were, you, know, you were a young teen when your mother was murdered, and at Safe Horizon we know all too often that there's many children who are left behind after a domestic homicide. What's your message for everyone in this room, um, and for everyone who's listening, for those children survivors of domestic violence? You know, what do you want people to know about the path that they have to face afterwards?
1: In the film, I, I tried a multitude of different ways multitude of different paths, and not all of them were great. And I think for me, I really didn't start healing until I was willing to put the shame aside and share with somebody else, whether it's a best friend, whether it's a loved one, whether it's a therapist, which highly, highly recommended, by the way. Um, I didn't do this, by the way. Just you know, without any kind of emotional support like that, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend this to people. Like, I'm gonna make a movie of my traumatic experience and and retrigger all my trauma. But believe me, I had a, a support. But um, whether it's therapy, I think that there's a multitude of, of environments. You know, one is Safe Horizon. There are twelve-step groups. There are plenty of family therapists. But I would say as soon as you let go of hanging on to your secret that's that's a really main thing for me because i tried to hang on to this thing as a secret issue for many many years and you know that old saying we're only as sick as our secrets well all that did was harm myself and all that did was have a negative effect on me and it wasn't until i was willing to pull the pull the curtain back so to speak that i was able to find any relief and and i think that that's an important thing to tell people that are, are in the wake of a trauma like this. Um, and then I would say that each person needs to find their own, you know? Because for me, it's, it's therapy, it's, it's art, it's music, it's friendship, it's filmmaking, it's laughter, you know? I mean, and that's the other thing I, I think that's that really important is don't lose your sense of humor because if everything's this heavy, horrible, dark thing all the time, who wants to address that? Who wants to live in that? One of the most beautiful things about life is our ability to laugh and love. And if you're going to lock yourself behind this cloud of darkness because of something that you had no control over, you're only harming yourself. So keep that in mind.
0: Well, with that said, thank you so much to Todd and to Dave. Thank you. Just a reminder that Morning Sun is available on iTunes. But again, thank you to Todd, to Dave, and again to all of you for coming. Thanks, Katie, and
1: thank you, everybody.